and welcome to Hometown. This is Hometown Daily, Season 2, Episode 213 for August 1st, 2023. You tick tube talk. Uh, we've already selected all 12 of our articles for today. I'm going to do a quick rundown so that you are aware. Uh, then I'll introduce the AI and myself. We're going to be talking about uh, Taco Bell false advertising lawsuit, the crown on Toyota, fruit fly quarantine in California, long COVID trials. There's a microchip war. Really? The 8-bit do wireless mechanical keyboard, closed caption glasses, DNA taken without consent, highest single-family rents, red tide returns, one ping only. Oh, I might be confusing things. A room with a view of you, and you tick tube talk, and the new features. Let's get into the very first article. I am Marawat, that is hometown.com, and up there is the AI that's keeping tabs on me to make sure I don't make any mistakes. I've already made a couple. Well, I didn't catch them, so I'm not doing a very good job. Uh, good evening, hometown citizens. We won't talk about it. So, um, yeah, we were talking about an alligator before the show actually started. So some wonky alligator, what it was in Florida though, right? Florida alligator. Is that how we're supposed it to? It is like Florida man or Florida woman. Yeah. So Florida alligator, um, because it has a, a medical condition, we're not supposed to divulge its identity. We can only refer to it as Florida alligator. Um, and whatever the malady was, I suppose. Right. Because it was doing, what was it called? I mean, that'd be protected health information. That's right. What, what was it doing? Head? It, it was rolling its head around. Yeah, because it was hearing voices saying... I don't, th I don't think that's what it was. <laughs> eat, eat all humans. Go to the golf course and eat all humans. No? Um, and so what did they end up doing? They actually had to kind of sit on it to restrain it to like a hospital bed, and then they gave it a CT scan. And figured out its issue and so what was the issue it had an ear infection because that's definitely what i think of when i think of alligators it's what i do when i have an ear infection i actually run out to the golf course and try to eat humans i mean that yeah. might explain why we've seen alligator attacks i mean maybe they were just been out of shape and somebody needed to check their ears that's oh so them you know taking down a baby zebra is because they have an ear infection got it got it it isn't a survival instinct or anything like that all right well before we get too far down the wrong river stream uh let's get into the very first article i, I need to do this again so that we can break this little chapter out <laughs> Never mind anything that was just discussed. So the very first article is over in the Hatch Ideas channel. It's about business. Taco Bell slammed with lawsuit over, <clears throat> especially concerning advertising uh, advertisements, allegedly deceiving customers. 
we actually talked about this yesterday, right? We did. And um, I came to the conclusion that, you know what? Anybody that believes certain marketing, certain advertising, um, really hasn't been around paying attention. But maybe, just maybe, um, they got sick of it. And uh, after pondering this for the last 24 hours, um, I've come to the conclusion that if it were cheaper days, I think that everybody, this lawsuit wouldn't exist. But when you go to Taco Bell and other fast food restaurants and you get a meal for you and yourself, uh, yourself and maybe a family member or your entire family, you're basically paying the price of an old school pre-COVID sit-down dinner restaurant meal. It's roughly 10 to 15 bucks per person, it seems. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, it seems to be very expensive nowadays. So that's probably <laughs> what's really spurring this on, not just the false advertising, which when you look at pictures of this lawsuit, because I've seen pictures of this now, um, you are astonished that you've accepted it all these years, right? Because it isn't like that. What you get is not what you, what you see. The class action lawsuit claims the chain is advertising more than they deliver. That's pretty typical based on what I've seen always my entire life. Um, let's go over to the source. This is entrepreneur.com. Emily Rilla is the author. And uh, there are no pictures um, in the article, at least not that I see um, from within hometown. You may see it um, outside of hometown, but at any rate, um, what do you think about this? You're an AI, so you don't really, I mean, you consume electricity. So if, if you were to go to a place and the sandwich is that thick in the marketing, but when you get it, it's, you know, what would you do? I, well, I don't think I'd file a lawsuit. I think I'd probably ask the server, hey, this isn't really what I expected. Can you put more whatever the items are on it? Uh, can you discount the meal, whatever it is? But really going for a lawsuit? I don't know. Part of my concern with this is like the photography is not going to be identical. We were talking about that yesterday. Yeah. But if it's like, if it's actually false advertising, like it's a tenth of, of what it's shown as, that might be a different matter. It is. Yeah. It's like buying a ream of paper and you get 10 slices, you know, 10 pieces of pizza. Or, or I should, pizza. God, my brain went straight to food. I guess I got to go get some food. I'll be back. Um, yeah, it's like you buy a ream of paper, you know, and that's like that thick. And then you get 10 pieces. And uh, if it's systemic, which, you know, I could go tomorrow to Taco Bell. Now that I've been talking about it off and on all day, um, discussing this with various parties, Um you know, I, I can see it, it is systemic, you know, sometimes you get soggy food and it's half filled and it, but it's because somebody's having a bad day. Okay. So I'll automate it. <laughs> I'll get exactly what's programmed 
And then you can actually see what's, what is actually being programmed into the system. You know, you know, ver, you know without a doubt what it is that's being delivered. But this deck statement says a class action lawsuit claims the chain is advertising more than they deliver. And I certainly believe that the marketing shows more than they deliver. But up until this, I would have just said, well, it's your, just your standard marketing. But this modern Robin Hood is stepping up to the cause and uh, demanding that there's a, a change. And if I was, if this was a jury trial and I was in the jury, I'd be finding for them simply because I think based on what I've seen, Subway does the same thing. Um, uh, pretty much, uh, not just to call out Subway, but everybody does the same thing. Every fast food place, I would say, probably does. But I've always just thought it was a difference in how it looked. I didn't realize it was a quantity issue. And I haven't seen the pictures here of what uh, somebody actually received compared to um, what it looks like in the ad. Yeah. Um, I think yesterday we just saw the ad, I believe. Or we saw one of them, but I don't think we saw them side by side. I can't really go to... Let me see. I, normally I don't go to... our. Uh, this is just the complaint. I don't think... It, oh, it does have pictures. There you go. <laughs> okay, now that's interesting because... Um, <laughs> like the first one. This thing I, looks I like a barge agree. on a river. The second one, I don't know. It, it looks like it's maybe. kind of pushed forward, right? All of the meat. Yeah. Um, but the first one is clearly lacking. Yeah, this is like four inches tall. And this is, I could cut somebody with it. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it, that's it's, quite a difference. It's wildly out of alignment with the marketing. So, yeah, whenever you get some of this stuff, it always comes across like it was found in a dumpster. Um, and, and the only saving grace is that it came out of that little window. Otherwise, if this was sitting on the table all by itself with no identification that this, this would be in a subreddit called, hold on a second, and we're not even eight minutes into it, but it's called Shitty Food. Um, it, this would come across it as like horrible. It was run over, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, like with the a, first one at least. <laughs> yeah, with a steamroller, you know, it just right on over it. And what shot out the other end was a, you know, this. <laughs> you could wallpaper something with it. It's so thin. Um, and this doesn't even look like it has any meat in it. And arguably, you yeah. could say, well, it's at the other side of it, but it's not. It's just not there. Right, that one I can't really tell as much because it seems much messier, but yeah, like I don't know. And same thing, like this one with the Mexican pizza. Yeah. Yeah, to me, it it comes across like somebody was drunk that night and just slapped stuff from the refrigerator, um, and and then you find out the next morning that it was actually the stuff from the cat food tin. And, oh, that's why it tasted a little off. Oh, okay. That would explain a lot. Yeah, just... So, you know, based on... I was being snarky yesterday about advertising. Um, and not really the lawsuit. I was being snarky based on the idea that anybody that believes this is what you get 
But I think in this day and age, this person, and let's give credit where credit is due, right? The plaintiff is Frank Siragusa on behalf of himself and all others similarly situated. Um, here's to the champion of the cause and I'm on your side now. Not, not only because of the pictures, but that you have the gumption to actually pursue it. And you found a lawsuit or a, a law firm that was capable of stepping up to the plate because I once pursued a lawsuit against a mega corporation and I could not find a United States based law firm that wasn't compromised by already having so much litigation involving that mega corporation that they could actually prosecute this this lawsuit that I was trying to bring. So I had to just put my tail between my legs and walk away. Um, luckily nothing came of it at the end of the day. Um, but it was, it was shocking as to what actually happened. Um, and I have to be somewhat, <laughs> um, what do you call it? Cavalier about saying things. I can't, I have to be kind of spacey and not just charge in and, and say, this is the company and all of that. But, um, suffice it to say that, uh, all the listeners have heard of the company. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, but, I, but I can honestly say that it's really tough to go after a mega corporation and Taco Bell is part of a, a, an establishment that's massive. Um, I'm surprised that they found anybody, frankly, um, because there's always <laughs> when they do the due diligence phase to see if there is a conflict of interest, there may be something that's like subordinate to the primary uh, defendant um, that still has a knock on effect to its ability to defend or prosecute this case. So it's this is really interesting. You know, this one person got tired of it at a time where when going to fast food is really expensive and this is what you expect to get you know a real meal not this um, but i still hear in my head this random person that said back in 2018 2019 the era of cheap food is over tell me about it and it's all exploitive, you know, they don't, they never lower the price. Not anymore. It only increases. You got to make those margins and it's going to be off of lowering quality and volume and or raising prices. And this is both. Um, and, and now I'm going to go to Taco Bell and, and go, what the hell, <laughs> what am I actually getting here? Is it what I expected? But they're only talking about five items in this. So what about the rest of them? You know, did they, I haven't read the entirety of the lawsuit. Um, but I know people that are in love with Mexican pizzas. Um, but all of these look like, I don't know, somebody lost a bet and decided to put that together on a plate. So. Yeah, I kind of wonder, I mean, for example, if they have 50 items on their menu, are these the only ones? We'd have to probably read the complaint to see if it's just indicative. 
or if there um, are these are the only ones at issue. I'll do it for science. I mean, I have to say this is pretty effective with the side-by-side -side photos. <laughs> Very true. So uh, let's keep on going through the articles. Uh, let me just back up a little bit and then um, I'll, I'll do this again. Um, doing, cause I have a system here. Okay. There we go. So this next article is over in four wheel tech. Don't call it an SUV. The 2023 Toyota crown is being reviewed by Ars Technica. Uh, the sedan might not be uh, properly extinct like non-avian dinosaurs, but it has certainly fallen out of favor with the car buying public. That's a topic that Toyota knows plenty about, even as the SUV becomes ascendant. Its Camry sedan remains the best-selling vehicle that isn't a pickup, crossover, or SUV, which is kind of like saying I'm number one on Tuesday at 4 p.m. Um, exactly. So its designers were evidently reading the tea leaves when it came uh, time to replace the Avalon. Hmm, the Avalon. Where have I seen? Okay, never mind. Well, the well, Avalon is not an SUV, though. It is not. And that's why this article is titled, Don't Call It an SUV. The 2023 Toyota Crown is reviewed. Bold styling and a powerful hybrid suggests GT, but it's more laid back than that. That's Jonathan M. Gitlin putting this article together. What's interesting about this is the lines on this are actually pretty amazing. I, I love the styling on this. Uh, I might actually have to get this. Um, well, it says here the sedan might not be properly extinct like non-avian dinosaurs. The crown shares its TNGA-K platform with other large Toyotas and uh, is the plural for Lexus Lexi or is it Lexus is, 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 is. I think it's Lexus is, is, is. got it. So including the aforementioned Camry plus SUVs like the Venza Highlander and RX and even a minivan. Those are all largely conventional, ignoring the moment uh, Lexus's large cheese grater grill. So this is not a Lexus though. Um, this is the crown. That's a pretty sexy looking car. I like that car. Those are pretty, pretty lines there, but it has like a, a chunkier, more ruggedized look. Um, this little black, it looks like a kick panel kind of a thing, but it, down here are the quarter panels, but this is up here on the door. That looks really good. Um, and it has this nice teardrop shape, but it doesn't look bulbous like um, a Tesla Model 3. Um, this has more slick lines like a Mazda um, uh, Mazda 3. It doesn't look like a Toyota, really. No, no. Um, and just at first blush, it looks like it's um, narrow and shorter, like uh, crunched a little bit compared to um what was the one that they were talking about um the avalon. the avalon yeah it looks a little bit closer um to like a, a, a mazda 3 than um it does an avalon so uh will the crown's bold styling appeal to the avalon's conservative customer base no i don't think so um 
You know, I've met a few Avalon owners and I really doubt that any of them fit the demographic for the crown. Um, I think but, that's a fair assessment. Yeah. I should say psychographic because demographic is a slightly different concept, but, um, it, the author of this article, uh, Jonathan M. Gitlin says, I still can't quite decide whether I like it or not. The shape makes me think the Jaguar I-Pace, uh, for some reason, although that car has many more straight edges than the curvaceous crown, uh, from other angles, it looks like a a bronze car has eaten a glossy black Prius. <laughs> uh, sure. Um, but it does have that thick rear end like an Avalon. Um, that right there is very Camry Avalon-esque. Um, the can this actually, you know, really wants to say Camry on it. I think they're actually, there's a lot of letters from, um, the uh, uh camry in this you know you got you got a few letters <laughs> they're, they're they're like well we need the c we need the r um that's right maybe we can kind of trick consumers hey this is like a camry yeah but this is this actually looks really nice it has like a a porsche-esque curve back here i don't know there's something about it that really appeals to me um and uh but it says that the test car was fifty two thousand dollars i think it starts at around 30 something um 35 or 39 i'm not sure what it is but the combined output is 340 horsepower which is pretty good um and the front to rear power split ranges from 70 30 to 20 80 depending on the road conditions and situation so it actually can shift all-wheel drive style put power where it needs to be so it's pretty neat um, looks like a, okay. So here's the thing about Toyota though. This thing will be a juggernaut. It'll just run and run and run and run and run and run. You you could probably put a hundred, 200,000 miles on this thing. I'm sure. Um, because every Toyota that as long as you take care of it, <laughs> um, your aspiration to run it into the ground just isn't going to be achieved. At least again, my anecdotal history with people who you or have toyotas um so i dig this i i, I won't really go into all of the minutiae of the article uh because uh i really i have a show that i want to bring to twitch but i'm looking for a host or co-host that can facilitate this um and it's called four wheel tech so you can actually go to this channel at ometown.com and get more articles that link to the sources like this. We have a little snippet, but all of the, the, the meat and potatoes of the article is still over at arstechnica.com where you get to see all of these pretty pictures. Look at the junk in the trunk. Okay. That was completely lost on the AI. Um, and, uh, I'm actually, there's a, a a podcast and streaming network called uh, the glass cannon network um, they have a thing called get in the trunk um, that they're actually streaming right now not that i want you to leave but um it, it's a, a fun live play of delta green and they've actually put people in trunks <laughs> so anyway okay psa don't put any people in trunks 
Yeah, normally there's a way to get out, though. There's a little pull cord, but if it's an older model, you won't be... I don't know why I'm being sidetracked by this. But anyway, love the Fender Wells. This is uh, somewhat like the Mazda line as well, um, like the 3050. Um, has this chonky Fender Well bump out with some ruggedized uh, Fender flare added to it to give it some contrast from the body panel. Um, but I'm still fascinated by this right here. This is a really neat effect, um, but probably raises the price dramatically. <laughs> I'll take it without that. But... How much do you like it? <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and that's really all there is to it. So lots of power, really good looks, at least in, in my estimation. Um, and uh, multiple drive modes and um, room with a view there. I mean, this is pretty neat. Um, so yeah, I, I might have to, this might be a vehicle to go and uh, take a, a gander at here in the near future. Uh, now's the time to trade in a car and get a good deal because prices are dropping, but they're still in demand. So if you can see one on the dance floor, go and get it. Um, all right, let's keep going. Come on. So the next article is over in hometown daily invasive fruit flies have forced a 79 square mile area of LA under quarantine. Residents are advised not to move any fruits or vegetables from their property. So I guess my buddy is going to have to stay in his yard because he's a fruity vegetable. No bad joke. Wrong. Really? Okay. Well, anyway, a fruit fly invasion has led to the quarantine of a 79-square-mile region of Los Angeles County. Residents are free to come and go under the quarantine, but their produce is not. You know, I once came in from Arizona uh, into California, and I was asked if I have anything to declare. And I said, only madness. Um, but I had an orange, and so I gave it up. Yeah. Yeah, that contraband uh, citrus fruit. Yeah, you're not allowed to bring certain things back into California from other states at certain times, apparently. And it was the one time where they asked me. It was a, a check, a roadside check. I thought I'd never run into that before. And anyway, this is the first time the flies invasion has resulted in a quarantine in the Western Hemisphere. I was talking about fruit flies today. Isn't that weird? That's weird. It is a little strange. Yeah. I'm also um, kind of concerned that it's a 79 square mile quarantine. Hey, fruit flies just, they totally adhere to that requirement there. They stay within the 79. They don't fly yeah. anywhere. They don't go to 80. Mm -mm. No, no. That's, this is their limit. They, there's like a little square in LA and they know we're just going to hang out right here. Grace, Elisa. Well, I don't know how fast they fly, but I mean, it might take them a while to get to another area in LA anyway. Mm. We know how bad traffic is. Time flies. Ah. Grace Eliza Goodwin uh, is the author of this, and there's a fruit fly. So if you see that, they're really tiny. I don't know if you're going to be able to see those. The Tau fruit fly is an invasive threat to California. Shoot them! 
<clears throat> just nuke them from orbit, right? Just drop an asteroid right there on California. It seems like that might go a little beyond the fruit flies. Yeah, it's the only way to be sure. It's like a spider in the house. You just got to just set it on fire. And... So uh, the California Department of Food and Agriculture announced in a press release last week that it detected more than 20 invasive Tau fruit flies, which are native to Asia, in Stevenson Ranch. Oh, Stevenson Ranch. Curses, Stevenson Ranch. What have you been importing? <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, an unincorporated area near Santa Clarita. The last time I saw Santa Clarita was a show on Netflix, I think it was, called Santa Clarita Diet, which is about a zombie living in Santa Clarita. This is how you end up with a zombie. <laughs> exactly. It's got to be connected. Uh, the fly has been spotted in uh, California three times since it was first detected in 2016, but was successfully eradicated each time. Um, guess what? How was it? Well, maybe it was, maybe stuff has been imported, so maybe it was actually. Or they just didn't find any and it's been breeding, breeding, breeding. Then oh, they find it because too. somebody has to stumble across it. So eradicated means wiped out, right? I don't think it's wiped out if it's there. But they have a very short lifespan, so. But yeah, I but they, they could have been maybe not a large population. Yeah, they reproduce like bunnies, though. So um, residents might want to think twice before plucking an apple off a tree and biting into it. There could be larvae living inside. The CDFA explains on its website that the adult female lays eggs in host fruit and larvae tunnel through and feed in this fruit. Hey. Yeah. Unfortunately, you run that risk with every apple. You know how nature works, right? It's out in the wild. Insects do this kind of stuff. It also is part of the reason why... Um, figs are not uh, vegan or vegetarian because a wasp loses its life in the pollination process. Nature, it's everywhere and it um, finds a way. No. Look, they're I not all gems. So the next article is over on the Mobile channel, long COVID trials to start. And it's not COVID trials that are long. It's about long COVID. Um, let's just go straight over to the source. And before I do that, we're like three articles in starting our fourth. And I've only put two articles into uh, chat. So there you go, folks, if you are oh so motivated to follow this. Well, this article's by Joseph Choi and Nathaniel Wexel over at thehill.com. And it says that the National Institutes of Health said Monday it'll begin enrolling patients in clinical trials to test at least four potential treatments for long COVID, adding it expects additional clinical trials to test at least seven more treatments in the coming months. The effort announced Monday are part of the 1.15 billion recover initiative that seeks to define and study the long-term effects of SARS-CoV-2 uh, infection and basically COVID-19 uh, long COVID impacts. 
The initiative was launched in December 2020, and some patient advocates and health groups have expressed frustration that it's taken more than two years for the first clinical studies to begin. Well, they don't even know what long COVID is other than it's long and it's COVID. But if you've been impacted by COVID and you are winded walking up a flight of stairs and there's no other indicators that your health has been waning, you might be suffering from long COVID because um, it says here that there is no standard definition for long COVID. This is funny. I could probably have written this article, um, but there is uh, there are more than 200 symptoms associated with the condition. While most people generally recover from COVID-19 infection, for some, the virus can linger and cause debilitating problems throughout the body. And this is actually a generalization because the COVID actually does damage to the lungs first and foremost. And so um, it, it's really um, one of the leading indicators that you might be impacted if you're winded, but you've never been winded before. Um, Crazy Cat Lady, hey, welcome to Ometown. I appreciate you stopping by again. Good to see you. Hope everything's happy and healthy. Um, your statement um, is not the first time that I've heard somebody say this to me. Um, COVID has made my memory crap. And that's one of the things where you get a thing called brain fog, memory fog, where you can't recall everything. Um, and uh, it's... It's quite, oh, it even says it in the article. <laughs> That's interesting. There's a whole subset of, um, it's called reaction videos where people watch like a movie or watch, uh, listen to a song and they react in real time. Well, this is a news reaction <laughs> uh, channel uh, because we don't actually uh, read the entirety of the article beforehand. We only see what you see on Omtown, that little snippet. Um, but we have some experience in all of these things. I say this periodically just to remind people. Um, and um, so you can have this and not know it. You can have COVID and be a carrier for it and uh, get somebody um, sick. Pardon me. I don't know what I just did, but I hit a keyboard on my desk <laughs> and, and, and something wow. just happened. <laughs> maybe we'll figure it out later <laughs> uh yeah um, well yeah and you can even have long covid without ever realizing you actually had covid yeah yep um and get you, you can be asymptomatic is what it's referred to as and and get other people sick and then be surprised what you got sick when you were hanging out at my house yeah dumbass you're the one that's causing all of this um and and really it's not their fault they just don't know that um you can have the vaccine and and still have covid and and shed it to other people um it just depends on how much you're actually shedding and if it's going to be shared with other people so it's it this is shockingly well known and unknown at the same time um unfortunately long covid is going to persist and now it's COVID and its variants, all called COVID of one variant or another, that's endemic now. It's not pandemic, it's endemic. It will come and visit us each year um, with ever diminishing returns, right? So it's not always going to be 
worse, 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 or alert. has been. Right. Um, and it will essentially die off until only the strongest survive of it, the virus itself, you know, and or it mutates. Um, and then we could have, you know, COVID 2028. And if we're lucky, it'll mutate into something that really isn't There's effective and may die out. But... Yeah, runny nose and doesn't cause any permanent damage. But it actually, right now, it causes permanent damage um, throughout the body. So it really sucks. Um, so I hope everybody out there is happy and healthy and doesn't have any issues. Um, but I know that crazy cat lady just made that disclosure about their memory being crap. I hope your uh, the human brain is fascinating in and it can rejigger itself to uh, develop the memory again. You may not have the the memory that you had before, but you can construct new ones. So, um, oh, and Crazy Cat Lady just said that they've had um, COVID twice, and each time it was totally different. Yeah. You might have actually gotten two flavors. How lucky, you know, you got chocolate and vanilla. <laughs> or wait, it's a little spicier than that, right? So it's like a, a chocolate mint chip and strawberry banana or something like that. You know, you got to make it a little bit more exciting than just vanilla, just chocolate. Let's keep going. We've got a bunch of news still. My thing is lagged a little bit. Uh, this next article is in the Hatch Ideas channel, Gallium and Germanium, what's China's new move in the microchip war and it, what it means for the world. Frankly, I didn't know that there was a microchip world. There's a mini uh, war, sorry. Uh, the article says that there's a, man, a microchip war, but it's a manufacturing war because the United States has some pretty advanced manufacturing processes and prowess. It's just cheaper to do it somewhere else because of environmental impact requirements. Um, so let's just jump over to bbc.com where this is housed. And uh, Annabelle Lang Liang, sorry, Liang, and uh, Nick Marsh are the authors of this article. And it says um, the materials are used to produce chips and have military applications. Kind of an understatement. Um, the curbs come after Washington made efforts to limit Beijing's access to advanced microprocessor technology, something that we have been uh, outsourcing, yet very limited controls on the intellectual property that leads to this processing. And so you get cloned chips from other places. They typically don't meet the requirements in quality control. Um, and so they're being sold elsewhere. They're not being sold to us, not for military for sure. Um, and typically not for business, um, at least here in the States. Um, that said, <laughs> it, if you, so the United States likes, likes to say that it doesn't have a walled garden, right? That anybody can come and go as long as you follow the rules and blah, blah, blah. But if everybody else is buying these chips from those sources, then the U.S. is in a walled garden. So we, we are getting these chips now. They're more expensive because of the quality control concerns. They're... Um, being cloned by other countries and sold and at the end of the day 
we're not making any money. It isn't money coming in from other countries. So um, the trade imbalance is pretty significant, right? So we're doing this process that I refer to as repatria sourcing, which is we're repatriating all of our product, uh, our productions, our industrial processes. We're bringing it back to the United States, but it's wildly expensive domestically um, because primarily the environmental impacts and land is expensive and food is more expensive, etc. Um, now is a really bad time <laughs> to start doing this because the cost of living is shooting through the roof. Um, the only way that this is going to make sense, bringing it back, um, would be uh, if everybody had to buy the stuff from us. That way their money is coming into our um, our uh, financial institutions and the trade imbalance uh, diminishes. So it says we're seeing governments increasingly move away from the narrative of globalization. This has been a thing that has spooked everybody since Reagan. Um, the idea that international markets will simply deliver materials is gone. And if you look at the picture more broadly, Western industry could be facing a bit of an existential threat because all they have to do is turn it off. Uh, China has made massive moves in many other countries and regions to acquire land and resources. And it's typical to use an infrastructure deal. Hey, we'll build roads in an exchange because the interest rate is too high. They can't, the, the, the host country can't pay the bill. So they get the land and that land happens to be, you know, a source for, um, gallium or germanium or whatever else it might be. Um, and there you have it. You've got basically resource um, capture. And it's very finite. Once you dig down deep yeah. enough, you're not getting any more of it. Go ahead. It's interesting. It says that the U.S. has reserves of germanium, but not of gallium. So, I and mean, gallium it puts is... them in a pretty precarious position. Yeah. Um, and what the U.S. has typically done for its entire existence is use some third-party resource before it starts tapping its domestic supply. And strategically, that's brilliant because you don't want to use all, you know, if there's only a finite amount of corn, you don't want to use your local corn supply. Just like we don't use our local, our domestic oil supply. We buy it from somewhere else while we still can afford it. Eventually buying it from some other place is going to be too expensive and, and not tactical or strategic enough to continue. And we'll start using our domestic supply right about that time is when everybody should start getting a little pissed off about oil prices. Um, and frankly, thinking about buying EVs. <laughs> yeah, frankly, uh, up until it became a commodity traded, uh, in the late sixties, the price per a barrel of oil was around 35 to $65 and then it shot up like a rocket. Um, and, and has been kind of sitting there 
Um, and whenever, you know, uh, one of the OPEC plus nations do, needs more money, then they constrain the release of oil and raise the price. And then people fear of missing out, start trading it at ever higher prices. You know, stock trades was supposed to even the commodity prices because it was highly volatile bouncing depending on the season. Now it's just bouncing depending on somebody's um, uh, bulk, you know, they'll trade it until somebody flinches and then they'll settle down for the day. So to me, at least I think it's increased volatility. Okay. Um, did you want to add anything? Did you see there's more to it? Um, obviously there's always more. Um, I just but, didn't realize everything that these were used for because it was beyond uh, microchips. Uh, it was used for vision goggles and I forgot what else. Night vision goggles. Yes. Yeah. Um, gallium is quite interesting because it melts oh, at... solar cells. Sorry. Oh, yeah. It's used for all kinds of electronics, gallium and um, uh, germanium. Um, the, the main thing, what's really interesting, at least to me, because um, I always like some unique quality of a, a resource, uh, gallium will melt at you can put it in your hand and it'll melt with your body heat. It's pretty interesting stuff. Um, and it's inert. It won't react with you. Uh, unlike mercury or anything like that. It's a metal in, in a liquid state. Um, so it says China has frequently accused the U.S. of tech hegemony in response to export controls imposed by Washington. Well, <laughs> to a certain degree, yeah. It, it might be because there seems to be a cultural difference between the government um, and uh, the United States, entire culture of the United States. Um, and I certainly don't want to usher in the mass surveillance state at the Chinese level um, and the controls. You think you were upset out there, people who might be upset about what happened with COVID here domestically. Look beyond our shores to see how bad it could have gotten um, in terms of a government putting its controls on people. And I'm not trying to push a, a, a whataboutism kind of thing. What I want to uh, propose is that there wasn't anything hinky going on COVID-wise domestically. It could have gotten a whole lot worse if we had a culture that was bound by the Chinese government culture. Um Meanwhile, the people just want to go and get their fruit, but they were actually locked in their houses, bar bolted on the doors and stuff like that on the outside. People weren't allowed to leave their enclave. Um, quite shocking when you saw the videos. Um, anyway, yeah, and that would never have happened here. Um, people were asked to stay inside and then they didn't and get, and then they went to a party and got 15 people sick. So Anyway, um, let's keep on hustling through the news. We're about halfway through today's show. Um, this next one is much more lighthearted, folks. So let's go check it out. Um, this next article is over in the Wanted channel. 8BitDo, I think it's pronounced. Um, I don't think it's 8BitDo. I don't know. I've never heard anybody actually say it. So if you know how to say it phonetically, throw it in chat. Um, 
Now, I'm a big mechanical keyboard head. I love mechanical keyboards. I've uh, got two sitting right here and a third one sitting over there and then other computers have it. Um, but here's the deal. I am now a proponent of split keyboards only. The only reason I'm talking about this is because, well, I dig its styling. Looks like an NES. It's over at Ars Technica. The 8BitDo $100 wireless mechanical keyboard screams 80s NES. The deck statement says retro colors and big old programmable super buttons, but no numpad. So that uh, numpad is number pad for those who aren't in the mechanical keyboard you know, universe, omniverse. We might have been able to figure that out. Context clues? Would that, would that have helped? You can... Sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> just, there's 10 types of people in the world, right? One, zero. Never mind. Sharon Harding is the author of this article over at ArsTechnica.com. I want this keyboard. It's on... Uh, pre-order right now if you go over to uh, Amazon it's a hundred bucks still but it's not going to get delivered until late September um, but I want this uh, it serves no purpose and frankly if I get this I will be forced to put behind me little shelves so that I can start displaying uh, gadgetry and what y'all can't see back there is between my sound panels that are um, that's a bunch of sound panels right in between them is a T rail so that I can actually put shelving <laughs> and slide it around and do what, all kinds of stuff. I can bolt lights in there and maybe I'm going to have to start displaying some keyboards. No, I can go full nerd, right? <laughs> While I talk, my headphones falling out of my head. Anyway, there isn't much to say about this. It's more about the pictures. Um, it's got the exact same styling as an NES. Um, the, the, the graphics, the gray stripe, the dark gray stripe on the light gray body, bold red buttons that are designed to be um, distinct and pop. And then it has these two little side buttons not little either they're they're big they're like a two and a half inches um, in diameter and uh, they look like an nes controller um, except that it's just two big fat buttons so and they're programmable so i want this thing um, both the n and the fami edition uh, there's a different styling uh, that has kanji in it i think it's that's what's um, written there um are uh, available for pre-order um, they have a console controller looking b and a buttons i don't know why they didn't do a and b uh, buttons where the uh, function keys and menu keys are expected uh, the keys as like the rest of the keyboards keys are programmable without software or using uh, 8-bit do's ultimate software v2 it says without software but i'm not sure how programmable it is without software, it seems like it would be really clunky, but um, I always use software to program keyboards. Um, but here it says uh, the real standouts compared to other mechanical keyboards are the dual super buttons, and that's those two big buttons. 
I want those because I use um, an Elgato foot pedal right now with three programmable buttons um, to do my transitions. And uh, right now it seems a little slow. And if I can just tap one button um, and it's big and bold and just sitting there, uh, that would be awesome. Did you see that you can connect up to four dual super buttons? So that's eight. This it's you're speaking my language. So I guess um, I'll I'll be off to uh, order another keyboard. <laughs> so it says the switches in the in the keyboard. Um, it says should feel lighter to depress. They're kale white um, switches, which are clicky but require less force. Sixty grams versus sixty five grams. You have to be a serious keyboard aficionado to feel the difference between that. Um, and the travel is 1.8 millimeters versus two millimeters to actuate um, uh, the switches in the giant super buttons. Um, you were your motion for a big giant super button would be too macro for anybody to realize, you know, 0.2 of a millimeter travel distance. But just focus on the retro styling and you'll love this thing. Um, then they have other, they talk about other things, but I don't even care about any other keyboard at the moment. This is what I want. Not this one here. This is the other one, Cami one. This is the one that I want. Has volume button, Bluetooth on and off button, an actual switch for Bluetooth on and off um, right there on the front of the keyboard. It's just, it just looks so awesome. Maybe I should just move on before I get sidetracked for too long. <laughs> okay, so the next article is over in the Warcrafters channel. Uh, student startup develops in real life closed caption glasses for deaf people. Um, I love the idea of this. Uh, I haven't, I heard about it in a different circle and then um, this was submitted. Um, earlier today. So I dig this. Um, we're all about accessible tech here at PC Gamer. It is a PC Gamer article. Anything that can reduce feelings of isolation after a long couple of years is a welcome augmentation, if you ask me. So it's little wonder Tom Pritzky's gone viral on TikTok with a little AR device that'll transcribe your conversations in real time, real life closed captions, if you will. So um, the article again is over at pcgamer.com and Katie Wickens is the author. The, uh, the deck statement says just another nifty way AR is helping reduce that isolated feeling. Um, it looks very close to uh, the Google Glass augmentation of glasses. It's just a tiny little lens right here that pops up in your field of view. Um, Pritsky along with co-founder Madev uh, Lavacare, I think is their name, um, formed Transcribe Glass back in 2021. So deaf and hard of hearing people wouldn't have to lip read, um, touting a similar feature to, uh, that which ye old Google Glass had planned to bring us Transcribe Glass. Wow. I could almost write this article too. Um, Transcribe Glass instead adds a little augmented reality attachment to the side of an ordinary pair of glasses that not only transcribes the words being spoken by the, the person in front of you, but manages to cleverly ignore surrounding conversations that could otherwise confuse transcription. So that's 
brilliant. So they have a directional microphone or something in here. Um, Prisky's goal is a bold one to solve hearing loss, which was uh, the founder of Stanford's first club devoted to hearing loss advocacy. And it's clear his passion for tech has grown alongside the endeavor throughout his degree, now converging here with transcribed class. <clears throat> I am going to just urge you all to go over to this article um, so that you can see more about this. Um, the, the glasses themselves, it looks like you can bolt them onto any pair of glass and then angle that in um, because the glasses themselves don't perform any function, but the attachment does. So it looks like it is going to be um, a, a completely different take on what Google Glass could have been. Google Glass. I wonder if they'll um, make this uh, accessible to regular glasses, for instance. Maybe it doesn't need to be. I don't know. I wouldn't see why not. Um, it might be a little weird uh, because it says the open source and highly accessible. Uh, the final model is expected to cost around $95 and the tech just gets better every time the author spots it. Uh, the weird thing about this is if you're wearing these and just looking at somebody, they could act as a parabolic hearing aid and you could listen in on somebody's conversation without speaking a word. Um, and so to me, there's some security related issues here. And if you're listening in, if you're eavesdropping, this thing could, because it's open source, be modified to record. Recording um, is illegal, but transcribing is not. That's kind of in a two-party state where both have to give consent to be recorded. Transcribing isn't explicitly written out. Um, but recording the audio of somebody is you're not allowed to record in a two-party state. Um, I also find it interesting that the article referenced the haptic suit uh, so that you could hear music at concerts, which we had featured previously. Yeah, we talked about that too. It's pretty cool stuff. Um, I love tech. I, I love accessibility and empowerment tech. Um, this would be great, uh, but... In my field, what I do is I look at and anticipate as much as humanly possible. Um, I'm sure that there are things that are beyond what I've even thought of already. And, um, you know, that's kind of the wisdom of the crowds kind of thing. And we all have a different set of eyes. Um, but I see, I can see people buying this for 95 bucks and abusing it because we can't have nice things, you know, unethical people will do unethical things like I don't know, putting a giant X on a building, waking everybody up all hours because they got all kinds of money. Hey, uh, the next article is over in the mobile channel. Henrietta Lacks family settles suit over use of cells taken without consent. Um, if you're not familiar with Henrietta Lacks, um, in you know about Henrietta Lacks, right? AI. I do. Do you want to summarize Henrietta Lacks in the situation? I'll try my best. So Henrietta Lacks was 
um, admitted to a hospital, I think this was around the 1950s or so, uh, was ultimately passed away, but they took, um, I think it was bacterial cells from her uh, without her permission, and they ended up doing extensive clinical research using her cells. I mean, so much so that you can practically name a major uh, illness, and they've done research with her specific cells uh, in that area. In fact, I think they've even um, come up with vaccines, etc. Like they've they've had a lot of breakthroughs with it. But this has been this long-standing. Um, issue and I think the family ultimately sued. Uh, there's been media coverage of, of this prior to the settlement. In terms of the injustice, it's tied into issues of like racial and socioeconomic inequality. I mean, there's a lot packed into this issue. Yeah. And um, so uh, you're right on all of that. So 1951 is the era. Thermo Fisher is the company that um, summarily removed um, a, a copious amount of cells because it was associated with cancer um, that um, made her um, infertile, right? Um, it was ovarian cancer, I believe. Um, but hers was unique in a way that they could, that it expressed itself in a way that they could uh, describe it better when they did their analysis. Uh, Cheyenne M. Daniels is the author of this article over at The Hill. And um, so one of the big things about this was that it it was uh, thought to be almost entirely bound at the beginning of this due to her race. The culture of the time was that black Americans were not the same as white and they could do uh, uh, doctors police anybody could do literally whatever they wanted you know even though we're way past emancipation and you would think that america would look past this but even into the 70s there was still like just absolutely overt racism on the streets and even into the into 2023 it's still pervasive it it's it's shocking that we're in the 21st century and we're looking at somebody's skin color as being the dominant feature to judge somebody um it's <laughs> it's it's an amazing thing meanwhile we're sitting there looking to the skies to fly to the to mars and and giggling in hushed tones about the possibility of ufos yet we can't even look at, and i'm not talking about you specifically when i say this you know you as a listener you as a viewer you as a citizen of hometown i'm talking about you as in humanity still have the propensity to look at another human being's skin color <laughs> and judge them um, it's asinine, it's shocking, and anybody that does that should be ashamed of themselves. Well, these Hella cells have helped push the world of medicine forward, aiding in the development of vaccines, including the polio vaccine and COVID-19 vaccines. And trained people 
through this experimentation and debate about that cell line um, beyond what would ever have been possible without it. But here's something that is making me really wonder how many other people have cell cultures been taken from without their express permission simply because it's done in ignorance. You have no idea what happens with a blood sample. You have no idea what happens with a tissue sample. If somebody finds it curious, right? When a doctor sits there and goes, well, that's interesting. You have to sit there and wonder what the hell, you know, maybe they're doing with you what they did with Lax. Um, but her suspicion in the U.S. at least um, and countries with similar um, health information protections, I think this is less likely in more modern times um, because of some of the um, statutes that protect your health information. Um, do I think it never happens? No. I mean, I, I'm sure that some of it does. I suspect around the time um, that Henrietta Lacks's cells were taken, this might be more prevalent than we know. And I think the only reason this got anywhere is I think the family really raised issues with it and it got a lot of media attention. Gotcha. So 70 years in the making, um, Henrietta Lacks changed the course of modern medicine, Van Hollen said at the time. That time was last week when uh, Maryland Democratic Senators Chris Vaughn, Van Hollen and Ben Cardin introduced a bill to posthumously award Lacks the Congressional Gold Medal. It is long past time that we recognize her life-saving contributions to the world. So here's to Henrietta Lacks. Um, long time coming. Let's keep on going. This next article is over on the Hatch Ideas channel, the five U.S. metro areas with the highest single-family rents. Three of them are in California. I figured that they'd mostly be in, like, New York or San yeah, Francisco. I would have thought that. Mm -hmm. But no. Um, let's see. Kate? I, hopefully their name is pronounced Dore, not Dor. I don't know, but I'll throw both, I guess, under the bus. Um, uh, I think CFP, I think is certified financial, uh, uh, uh is it professional? I, I can't, rem so. I can't remember CFP. Uh, it's been a while since I cared about acronyms. Um, but I should know them considering, <laughs> uh, certified financial planner planner. That's right. Thank you so much. Um, I knew that that, that P was going to be a problem. Um, so, um, uh, Americans are still feeling the pinch of the high cost of single family rentals, according to a new report based on the second quarter of 2023. Uh, honestly, if you're paying rent, um, well, the joys of home ownership are always built off of uh, maintenance. So it's kind of like buying a boat. You love it when you buy it, you love it when you sell it, but everything in between is just a chore. Um, anyway, renting means that it's somebody else's problem to fix, but you're not the owner of the property. California metro areas dominated the top spots for our highest median rent while areas around the Sun Belt were most affordable. But if you're considering a move, financial advisors say uh, to be to beware 
of unexpected costs. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just going to summarize this because uh, it says the five uh, U.S. metro areas with highest monthly rents. Um, Los Angeles is number one, just shy of $5,000. San Diego um, is at 48, just shy of $4,900. And then Naples, Florida. Uh, I think that's interesting. And now I'm curious um, about it, but um, I, I, I'm not quite sure why this is so darn expensive, um, but. I think it's tied to New York City. Um, Stanford. Because, well, I don't know about that city specifically, but um, there are areas in Connecticut that serve as um, residences for people that work in New York. Gotcha. The, this article actually has more than one city and state combination in here, but like Bridgeport, Connecticut, Stamford, Connecticut, Norwalk, Connecticut, all are in the $4,750 a month monthly rent um, for a single family. Um, what that actually includes is uh, consistent with something that they've designed, but it, it just says single family rentals. Um, but I don't think it says what the number is unless you go and look at all of the other articles that they reference. Um, and if you're looking for the lowest, you can go to Little Rock, Arkansas, North Little Rock, Arkansas. So Little Rock, Arkansas, um, for $1,267. Um, and on the high end of the lowest monthly rents is Cleveland, Ohio and Elyria, Ohio, which is probably butted right up against each other for $1,506. Um, it's interesting that they do like they combine a couple. <laughs> um, so yeah, then they talk about hidden costs, but, uh, sometimes they say that you have to put two months down and the last month and a massive security deposit and you have to know, or you have to have been working somewhere for X number of years and, and be more secure and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but it says here, probably the most overlooked hidden costs is when you're looking for the next job, said certified financial planner Michael Hansen, co-founder of uh, managing partner of Frontier Wealth Strategies in Walnut Creek, California. This is more like an ad than it is an article. Um, it may be appealing to move to a cheaper state to work remotely, but telecommuting may not be possible for your next role, he said. Before moving, you should consider your new uh, city's job market and possible in-person job opportunities. Can you imagine moving to a place and then your your gig says, eh, we've reconsidered this whole teleworking thing? No, I can't, but I think that's happened to a lot of people. We've seen articles about that. Man, I would I would hate that. Um, although there is a a person moved across the country um to start working for a a distillery in Texas. Um and they were actually messing with him on camera because they have a YouTube channel and saying that if you choose the wrong whiskey, you're fired and we're going to keep your dog. <laughs> so that's kind of low. <laughs> apparently he chose right based on the video, but um, it, it's that's the type of fun that I wouldn't be really happy to because <laughs> they'd probably be serious with me, but not with him. I don't know. Maybe he's got a better sense of humor. Marawat is happy though in Ohmtown. Let's keep going. That's great.
the next article, and I'll be fast with this one. Red tide returns to San Francisco Bay one year after large fish die off. Um, so this is an article over at fizz.org by Lisa M. Krieger from the Mercury News. Experts report that swimming algae was detected last weekend in rust-colored water samples from Emeryville, the Berkeley Marina, Albany, and Marin County's Richardson Bay and Muir Beach. M Muir Beach. Um, while no fish deaths have been reported, authorities are advising people um, or pets from entering the water and are closely monitoring the bloom. Last summer's incident was alarmingly deadly, killing thousands of fish and other marine creatures from tiny yellowfin goby to sharks and bat rays. This seems to be an ongoing thing. Um, and based on this article, I think what I'm going to do, and I think the AI and I should both um, uh, do a little bit of research to see, because I swear I've read somewhere that there's an increase in the number of blooms that have been happening. Uh, primarily driven by climate change, the oceans getting warmer, causing them to bloom more often and bigger um, and, and much more. Uh, they have more of a punch. So you you're finding like out about more, seals. Um, and, yeah, like what the word is. They're just stronger, like, right? Yeah, yes, that's yeah. the right word. Yeah, the algae is or algae. I always have to say it's actually like a snap reaction whenever I see algae, the word algae, I have to say algae. Anyway, it seems as though we're catching the very early phases of this. We don't know yet at this point what the trajectory will be. So they're watching the red tide. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know why they're talking. There's no fish die off yet. So. Um, no, but based on the experience last time i mean that's highly likely here yeah um and if this is true it says a combination of nitrogen runoff and warm water is likely the culprit that nitrogen runoff is from um uh Probably what you call it right? agricultural nutrient sprays yeah um herbicides and not herbicides but um yeah spraying nutrients so which is all fine and dandy if you're doing um, like um, internal, uh, what <sighs> we do it. Um, microgreens. Well, not just microgreens, but if you're doing hydroponics, then you're actually running a nutrient bath and it's at low quantities and it doesn't run off anywhere. It actually gets consumed by your crop. Um, for much of if you do it right pretty much all of the water is consumed by your crop by the time you actually draw it out um and so there's very little that uh, gets thrown out with the bath water because you know, your crop is soaking it all up um but when you do it out in the wild it rains it permeates through the ground and and deposits some there but it leaches off into groundwater and then eventually streams creeks ocean um wastewater utilities remove some nitrogen and other nutrients during the secondary step of wastewater treatment but last summer's die-off showed that more needs to be done um yeah i i'm pretty sure when we do a cursory search we're going to find out that this is happening a lot more um than uh, we suspect you know i didn't throw this article into uh, the chat and I didn't throw that article into the chat. Sorry, folks. I know this is the exciting stuff that y'all come to 
witness is uh, the inside baseball of me copying and pasting links. But we've got a lot of 12 to be exact. We've got two more that we're going to talk about tonight. So if you have any questions or comments or concerns, throw them in chat. We can talk about it. Um, up next. It's in hometown daily an outdoor balcony in London is on the market for $63,700, but the listing agent says it doesn't come with an apartment. So if you want a room with a view of you, this is where you go. A lone balcony. I mean, isn't and the obvious question. How do you access it? Parkour. Um, Michaela Friel over at businessinsider.com. So there's going to be pictures apparently. Um, put this article together. An outdoor balcony in London is on the market for $63,700. Some potential buyers are confused since it doesn't include an apartment. The listing agent told the, uh, told Insider that the property is a reflection of London's housing market. So I don't know, maybe it's a political statement and not really a actual sale, but who knows? I'm hoping that there's pictures. The singular balcony is on the third floor of an apartment building on Stanhope Gardens in South Kensington, according to the advert on Right Move, where the 121 square foot of space is listed as a flat with its own private entrance. Well, it's a balcony, so I would assume that it's flat. Har har. Glenn Jacobs, managing director of Next Home Limited, which holds the property listing, told Insider that properties in the same building are worth on average 1.2 million pounds or around 1.5 million dollars. So that's it. There we go. A view from the balcony for sale. Um, I mean, if it's a balcony only, uh -huh. yeah. would you expect perhaps a different view? No, that, that right there is what I, I mean, it, it's looking down a street on top of other buildings. It's an unobstructed view. I, I think it's quite attractive. You can bring a chair, maybe barbecue. I'm not sh quite sure. It says uh, the unique listing is a reflection of London's property market. Um, the building is located in a prestigious area. It's around a 20 minute walk from Harrods, a luxury department store in central. <laughs> what kind of a connection is that? It's also the same well, distance. How does it help you if you can hang out on your balcony near it? It's not like you can live out there. <laughs> Challenge accepted. Uh, all you need to do is spend a couple of uh, Bitcoin and you can go and buy this. Come on. The same distance to Kensington Palace, Prince William and Kate Middleton's official London residence. Oh, how exciting. I'm going to walk all the way over 20 minutes to look at this and then go back to my balcony that I paid $64,000 for. Robert Gardner, chief economist at a Nationwide Building Society, said in a report published at the end of 2022 that the average house price in the UK increased by almost 20,000 pounds from 255 to 274 uh, between January and August of that year, which, eh, I don't know. That doesn't seem like a lot. What seems like a lot is selling a balcony for $64,000. I still don't understand how they could do this. 
Jacob said that the potential buyer should consider that they would have to make a cash purchase as you wouldn't be able to take out a mortgage solely on a balcony. The buyer would also be subject to the same factor fees as those who own apartments in the building. Um, oh, wow. Is that kind of like um, HOA association? That's ridiculous. <laughs> Particularly since I'm assuming they have no access to building amenities if there are any. I'm not sure this qualifies you for anything. Yeah, it's part of the... Uh, a factoring fee is a total fee you pay for your um, pay your property factor or property manager to upkeep your estate, building, or home. So HOA, basically. Um, this, is, uh, this is quite fascinating. I, I, never in a million years would I have ever heard of this. Um, so thanks business insider, uh, follow this link folks, go and check this out. I'm, I'm going to throw this into and let chat. Let us know in the chat if you would buy a balcony without an apartment. Yeah. Would you buy a balcony? This is your view. This is the balcony. <laughs> I wish they had more. Um, it might be in a listing somewhere else, but would you, it's got an AstroTurf green lining. Um, oh, I just figured it out. Maybe you're supposed to hit golf balls from it. Sure. I guess that would raise your factoring price because you'd be breaking windows all over town. Yeah, you might bonk people in the head. That's not advisable. <laughs> you'd, lo you'd lose your balcony pretty quick, you know. One TBI and you're going to lose your balcony. Uh, let's see. Yeah, he said some people who live in the building have expressed interest in that the space could be used to hang laundry or as an outside breakfast area. They've received 220 inquiries about the bal balcony since it was put on the market three weeks ago. Okay, do you think 219 of those are what is this? <laughs> or think that the apartment comes with it? How is it even possible? Does any, can anybody explain this? Any, if you're in chat and you're in anywhere closely informed about UK law, how is that even possible to sell an attached piece of property outside of a piece of property as a separate piece of property? I don't quite get it. Because what if you're loud out on the balcony and it's right outside the window of the people who own the inside thing? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, are the people selling the balcony the ones who own the attached property? Probably not. <laughs> I mean, maybe they are. This just seems like it's going to lead to so many issues. So, uh, and because I'm reading this kind of piecemeal uh, as we're talking about it, some people have misinterpreted the advert. Some foreign investors have not understood and are thinking it's an actual flat. Can I put a tent there and actually live there? I wouldn't be surprised if somebody tries that. I don't know if that's allowed in the UK. You know, put a full on tent, um, you know, composting toilet, bring in, uh, make it a tiny home. Can you make it a tiny home? Start bringing in lumber. This, uh, this could be, how about that? 
let's buy it and uh, we'll test this. What do you think? It's on the third floor of this building. An outdoor balcony in this building in Stanhope Gardens in London is currently on the market. It has to be, it's on the third story, so the third floor. So it's somewhere like, I wish that they would have provided more pictures because I really want to know. Eh, I'll pull it up on Google Earth and, and take a gander at it. So this is pretty, pretty funny, pretty cute. I like it. All right, folks, let's move on to the last article for the night. It gave us our namesake uh, title of uh, Utick Tube Talk. <laughs> uh, the article is... Is that uh, the next app? <laughs> yeah, really. Formerly known as X. Um, the uh, Hometown Daily channel is where this snippet is housed, but it's actually sourced from The Verge. Uh, YouTube is adding a slew of new TikTok-like features to shorts. And frankly, my shorts look good uh, on me, um, and so I don't need any slew of new TikTok features added to my shorts. That's a clothing joke. Never mind. They're not always funny. Um, most notably, YouTube is experimenting with adding previews of live videos to a user's feed of shorts. This is how TikTok live videos also appear. Viewers can uh, click in to watch the stream and then scroll through a feed filled with other live streams. Creator monetization features uh, like paid chatting and memberships will be available in the feed as well. So YouTube is basically doing this mad dash to try and take over some TikTok-like features so that it can attract people who are addicted to the shorts, which by the way, I can tell you from experience are highly addictive because it's, it's moving. There's enough dynamic there that you don't get bogged down by how long has this show been running an hour and a half. Um, and so you get these little snippets. It might be why I'm, I keep getting told you need to throw more shorts onto YouTube and onto TikTok. So I guess I need to actually buckle down and do that. Let me know if you'd rather have little snippets of the show and not the long form hour and a half to two hours that we have the show. So the articles over at the verge and Mia Sato is the author of this. The deck statement says new features include a vertical live video feed, side by side recording and additional tools to make shorts out of long form video, uh, YouTube videos, which by the way, I am looking into because I was offered the ability to do this um, recently. Uh, I don't know if it's just beta or if it's actually out now um, because I haven't really taken a deep look at it. Um, but yeah, you can now take a segment of a long form YouTube video and turn it into a short. Um, not sure how long that's actually been in place, but until recently I wasn't too addicted to shorts, but um, <laughs> they've been a bl I mean, I've seen them before, but I know like you watch one and suddenly you're like sucked into the, the shorts um, or TikTok videos. Anyway, um, seems like it's going to be a blast. Um, I can tell you in advance that I won't do NPC style videos uh, live or otherwise um, where you do that little thing, you know. Um, 
Shorts creators will also get new suggestion feature that pulls the audio clip and effect used in a video uh, they want to recreate. It's similar to other features on TikTok and Meta's Reels. The latter recently updated its version, making it even quicker to copy and use audio and effects from another video. YouTube's version will pick up the audio from the same timestamp as the clip a user is replicating. So basically, you're going to be recycling and, and um, reusing um, audio and video. You can actually make it available. Other people can grab snippets of your video to use as well. So it's going to be very... I don't know. I don't know how to phrase that, but it's going to be kind of like a blender. You'll be able to take video and audio from all kinds of places. Anyway, beginning today, the company is adding the ability to record a video side by side with another clip, similar to the TikTok feature duet. Um, and the feature called Collab uh, will include multiple layouts and creators will be able to use the effect on shorts and normal YouTube videos. Um, yeah. It's interesting, but I'll have to uh, start embracing it. Uh, that said, we are done for the day. Yay. Um, uh, we always bring everybody on the bus through hometown back to the welcome sign. And then we mash that button so that it refreshes and ta-da, we get a whole bunch of um, uh, new articles. Let's see. Lots of Trump indictment stuff, but we don't need to really. There's other people that are interested in talking about that. Um, Fallout 4's best mod is coming to a dramatic conclusion. Oh my. Yeah. Might take a look at that. Don't know if we'll talk about it. But, um, if you find an article that you're interested out there, you can send it either via a message here on Twitch or YouTube or download the podcast um, and send uh, Mayor Watt an email. Uh, you can send it to mayor at hometown.com. I will get it. I'll get it right here. Um, what about India's rice export ban? Uh, sure. Down at the that, that's actually been around for a little while. Um, they stopped uh, exporting rice because they need it. Um, Apple TV plus partners with air Canada to offer free in-flight entertainment and a whole host of other articles. Um, we cover the last 24 hours in each episode. So things that have come in after we started actually about an hour, hour and a half, um, before we start the show is our cutoff time, unless something is really amazing. And I make a last minute edit, um, Wow, Variety says that Secret Invasion was a mess, but Marvel had already lost its way. I guess we're going to be talking about that tomorrow. Pretty cool. All right, folks. Um, with all that said, that's it for tonight. We are all done and dusted. You want to say bye to everybody? We'll see you tomorrow. Good night, hometown citizens. Yes, we'll see you at 9 p.m. Eastern. True story. See you in a bit. Mm -hmm.